the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, ho neighbors. Happy Thursday. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Welcome to you. If you'd like to connect with us, there are all sorts of ways you can do that. First, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com. Plus, you can ring us up on the old telephone. What? It's true. It, it can be done. I've wow. tested it myself. 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. If anything we talk about strikes your fancy, you want to weigh in, you have a thought, you have a suggestion, uh, give us a call. We would love to hear from you. And as many of you know, Brian and I are both pastors, so uh, maybe even to a fault, we love kind of exploring topics around theology and culture and church and pastors. And one of the things that we've touched on a couple of times in the last few weeks, but we've never really taken a deep dive, is really this rise of the CEO pastor. Right. And uh, you found an article in particular that kind of goes after that a little bit. So why don't you uh, share a bit from that article? Yep. It just came out on Christianity Today. Uh, in fact, you know how you know you want to know how you know something's really new when it's from the November issue. Ooh, wow! How <laughs> As, do they do it? This is a future article, <laughs> but written by uh, by our old friend Mark Galley, who has been here, uh, spent some time with us. We really appreciate him and his work. And the title, uh, the article is titled "The Cautionary Tale of Jerry Falwell Jr." Hmm. and it, it picks up on that Politico story. You and I, we we opened the show with it probably a month ago, where it talked about. Uh, the culture of fear and and all of this stuff at Liberty and and really kind of called into question Jerry Falwell Jr.'s leadership. Uh, but Falwell Jr., to his credit, has always said he once tweeted, I've never been a minister. He doesn't say I'm a minister. And so Galley's not talking about just Falwell. He then makes the turn. Uh, and he says, this is reminiscent of many pastoral job descriptions today. Hmm. In fact, one prominent megachurch seeking a senior pastor recently posted that the successful candidate would wear dual hats of pastor and CEO. And again, Galley goes on to say, whether at Christian universities, evangelical nonprofits or local churches, we have fallen head over heels for the entrepreneurial leader. Uh, we're infatuated with men and women who can grow influence and finances. We want movers and shakers who can make a difference. We hire not for humility and service, but for boldness, innovation, and creativity. Hmm. And then he goes on to say this. Maybe it's time for us to put the pastoral dimension of all Christian leadership in the driver's seat and let the CEO dimension sit in the back. Yes, every organization needs to be financially stable, and it takes men and women with business savvy to make that happen. In fact, one great gift of evangelical faith, he writes, is its entrepreneurial nature and ability to raise up and empower dynamic leaders to jumpstart effective missional enterprises that really do change lives. But his call here in this article, and I'm curious uh, your thoughts uh, his his call is let's have less CEO and more pastor. 
Yeah. Let's have less. And that, that he's depositing that those, while they have some overlap, they're actually pretty different. Hmm. And that the church or Christian organizations are being hurt because we're just constantly talking about leadership, CEO, entrepreneur, and less about pastor, shepherd, uh, which is a really interesting take, especially in this culture, this evangelical church culture we live in. I'm wondering if you resonate with this. I, I mean, I resonate with a lot of it. And I think Gally is one of the smartest dudes we've had on the show, to be honest. Hopefully we can convince him to come I back sometime. With you but completely. I agree I've referenced Alan Hirsch a couple of times on the show, mm-hmm. whose birthday is today, by Happy the way. Birthday, Happy Alan birthday, Hirsch. Alan. So he uh, <laughs> kind of drawing from Ephesians 4 uh, creates what's called this APES yes. understanding of these various different roles. APES stands for uh, Apostle prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and he sort of outlines at much greater length the significance of all five of those in the local expression. So, so often it seems like uh, the apostolic piece also tends to be most closely linked to this entrepreneurial piece. Mm. So the prophetic piece in a lot of ways is sort of the, they, they tend to be more angsty, right? Yeah, like this, yeah. you know, we're not, we're not, we're going fast. We're not going fast in the right direction. The evangelist is really preoccupied with people who are far from God. Mm. The shepherd piece, which is the piece that he's talking about here, they, they tend to be really great at the more pastoral care piece. People love to kind of share and meet with that person. And then the teacher, you know, you and I both teach, but not everyone's a mm-hmm. teacher, mm-hmm. you know, loves to make difficult truths really accessible. So I can see value in all five of those, obviously. Yep. I'm not wired for all five of them, not by a long shot. So it is interesting when you hear someone, because I think Galley probably is also more in that shepherding wiring personally. And, you know, we tend to be more, uh, I think, we tend to be more uh, in support, I guess, of a wiring that maybe is closer to our heart. That's a good point. But I am really curious, though, why why you think our infatuation with like CEO types of leadership has become so popular, even in the wake of some pretty public failures of people leading in that style. You'd think that all of these massive departures would lead us to kind of rethink some of the yeah. more CEO-driven structures, but I don't know that it is. So I think uh, some of it goes back to uh, you know Dave Ferguson, who you work with, when he said, I remember being really influenced at Exponential hmm. one time when he talked about the scorecard. Like, what's your, your scoreboard? Yeah, what's scoreboard. the scoreboard of your church? Right. And that usually for churches, it's it's attendance, right. it's budgets. Right. That CEO type of leader, even in churches, people need to understand this, even in churches, in the church world, it's that CEO driven, dynamic, uh, upfront face of an organization, whatever. Right. They grow big churches. Hmm. Sometimes it's, we've got the list of them here, right? Yeah, right, but right. A lot of times it crashes and falls. And I think that's what Galley, I mean, Galley lists some of them in here mm-hmm. from, yeah, and so... Uh, I, I think that's one of it. Part of it is what are most churches scorecards are still attendance and budgets and they want the big church, the well-known church and this and that. And some churches grow that way, not with the CEO. I'm not saying it's the only. Right. It's but definitely we've not. often seen that it's the most it's the it's the uh, most likely. Yeah. It's the one that you see the most. And so if a church wants to be a fast growing mega church or they want to be well-known, then you start looking for the CEO. And so when someone has a job offer uh, opening at a church and they're like, well, what do we want? We want someone who's going to grow this church. We want someone who's going to do this. Let's go. Right. And that's what, what it ends up happening. And for pastors out there, you know, this is a real struggle because in your APEST, I'm, I'm very much wired to be a shepherd. Okay. And that's sometimes, I can see that that is sometimes a difficult one when you're leading an entire organization and this, that a lot of times that will be 
the last one on the list because you, you got to keep going. And, and well, and you've also thing. even mentioned some of your own kind of people pleasing tendencies. I, I, that tends to be kind of part and parcel with a high shepherding gift, I yeah. think, yeah. because you see, you know, you see and care for people really. In a, in a deeper way than often those other four true. letters will, which can create, like you said, you know, especially in unhealth, that can create some real problems. Absolutely. Why do you think this obsession with growth, if you if that is the real linkage there, that we need a CEO type leader in order to, quote, grow this thing, where does yeah. that come from? I don't know. I think there's some unhealthy, maybe, I don't know that it's always been there, but it feels like, uh, especially in our area, uh, we live, Chicagoland? Yeah, we live in the area of Willow and Harvest and all of that. That there is this underlying pressure in churches of like, well, the bigger must be better. Right. And even though we've seen all this bad stuff happen, it's still often the bigger must be better. And so elder boards, pastors and everything go, well, we, we better get bigger. Yeah. That's, that's a sign of God's blessing on us. That's a sign that God's at work here. And it mm. can be. Yeah, it certainly can be. But it's not the only sign. And uh, we, we a lot of times. um uh, we inf- we we conflate uh, numerical growth with health. Yeah. Sometimes they're together. Right. Sometimes they're the same things. Sometimes they work against each other. Right. And the opposite can also be true. Hundred percent. People are like, ah, oh, we're small. That's how you know we're healthy. And that is also no badge right. of honor. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm not sure that we always shoot for health. And um, yeah, how do you guys at your place at at community? You've got a lot of entrepreneurial types. You guys are uh-huh. innovating all the time. Yeah. You're doing new things. Uh, but yet you feel really healthy to me, and it feels like you, you're shooting for having a variety of different things. How do you work through something like this that Galley's talking about? Well, and I think a lot of it starts at the top. You know, mm-hmm. so one of the phrases that Dave and John use a lot is, my fruit grows on other people's trees. I love you know, so that's a, yeah. I just think that's an incredibly humble position. Yep. They wrote Hero Maker, so it's mm-hmm. all about like, hey, a pastor that's pursuing for him to be the hero is destined to fail. Yeah. Um, People also, even you know, at the interview stage, like they know, hey, it's a high collaborative environment. So if you're mm-hmm. just looking to make a name for yourself, wherever this probably isn't going to work. And so, be- because we really do, li- I mean, we call it New Thing Network. <laughs> yes. We like new things. There's a lot of flexibility, I think, for people to say, hey, I got a, I got a passion area here. Cool. And uh, you know, again, another thing I hear Dave say a lot is we le- we lead with a yes. All right, mm-hmm. God stirring something in your heart. Let's let's see where this goes. There's just a real. That's I think a lot of the benefit of the entrepreneurial spirit Absolutely. is this like endless curiosity like okay where could that go let's see where that leads and i think people i think rightly so and they kind of gravitate toward that and that creates i think a lot of the culture that we get to uh enjoy absolutely yeah so i think the important thing the bigger is not always worse it's not always better yeah right you just got to work through that that's right all right well coming up next louis giglio who i've listened to for years and years and years uh made some comments that i actually find really really fascinating so we're going to listen to a little bit of louis giglio and then we'll respond that's all coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Everyone, welcome back to the show. My name is Ian Simpkins. I can say you my own got name. Your name wrong. My name is Ethan. Ethan Simpkins <laughs> with a P. <laughs> I did. I did one time. This was a couple years ago. I introduced myself to a woman. I said, "Hi, oh, my name is Ian." She goes, "Oh, do you mean Ethan?" And I was like, "Nope." Nah, I usually get my first name right. I I know I don't look like the brightest crayon in the box. You're like I get <laughs> I get confused about a lot of things, but one I do well. I just got so excited we were back that I uh, I got tongue tied. Ever done that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Even with your own name. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about that clap band being my uh, a side project I'm working on right now, but 
It's passed. The moment's gone. It's, it's well, too late. Once you messed up your first name, it passed. <laughs> all, all bets are off. Let's just go to commercial again. Uh, uh, all right, so you can find us all over the place on Facebook, uh, the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can call us. So if anything today resonates or you disagree with, we'd be okay with that. Call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. And uh, I found this little clip from a, a much longer sermon. I didn't realize Louis Giglio preaches like almost an hour every Sunday. Yes, I've listened to him. Yeah. It like legitimately is every Sunday a full hour, which is, I, I guess, was what I used to do, but I don't, you know. Did you really? Yeah, usually 45 Ooh. to 50. You've always been kind of a tight 25? 25 to 30. Well, I'm right at 30, and I'm like, yep, I got nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a stronger sense of that mechanism. What do you do at, uh, at community? 25. 25. Yes, sir. Across the board. Okay. Unless there's like a special reason sure, sure, why. Sure. But I, 25 well, to 28 feels like my sweet spot. For, well, for anyone you know from our church that's listening, I'm supposed to stay to 25. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> I very rarely actually do that. Have we mentioned grace yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Grace upon grace. But anyway, I think Louis... Uh, uh, over the decades, actually, he's had a lot of really good things to yep. say. And this is just a short minute clip uh, of something he was saying a couple of weekends ago that I thought was really fascinating. So we're going to listen to it and then uh, I'm going to get your reaction. Okay. The suffering of all of our lives will look like a tiny, imperceptible blip on the timeline of our eternity. We will look back at it as if it were a grain of sand. And we'll say, Hallelujah. Because now I'm in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more shame. But for a season, I'm just telling you, there's going to be pain. But there's something to do with the pain. Bring it to the pain bearer. And ask him to use it for his glory and somebody's good because at the end of the day all this air we're breathing is for his glory stay it's the only way you can glorify the God who made you so there's a lot about that that I really like, and yeah. it's, you've probably picked up on even sentiments that I've used mm-hmm. and shared on this show, and the idea that you know somebody handed somebody somewhere a Christian theology that means once you say yes to Jesus, that yeah. means all pain and suffering goes yeah. away. And I think, man, I don't, I don't think anything can be further from the truth, to be honest. So what mm-hmm. do we do? And this is a question I know you and I as pastors get all the time. If, if God is love... How on earth could he allow this? Right, what right, am right. I doing wrong is often the question. And, you know, the old adage that a youth pastor used to say, he's not protection from the storm. He's protection in the storm. Mm-hmm. This idea of, of Christ's presence in the midst of pain and suffering. Yep. But sometimes even when you're bearing the weight of that, like, you know, we we heard tragically today about Toby Maxwell, the son. Yeah, I read Passed that. away, surprised. I mean. 21 years old. 21 years old. Yeah. Toby Mac being a Christian rapper, right? That's Anyone right. Knows. That's DC right. Talk, yeah. And his, and his son, an aspiring hip-hop artist, mm-hmm. and just like reading that headline thinking, oh, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even, I can't even imagine trying to put one foot in front of the next. So, you know, I talked, to my, I talked enough. What, what do you think about what Louis said? How do you yep. shepherd people through their own kind of pain and suffering? Yep, exactly. I love what you pointed out that Giglio said. Uh, is I think so important when he just said there's going to be pain. Yeah. Like we know that. First of all, some people preach that, like you said, the opposite. 
Hmm. Uh, come to Jesus and all your pain will go away. And then people have pain and they go, well, that didn't work. Right. Hmm. Like there's that there. You're setting themselves. You're setting them up for failure. Or we just assume it like, you know what? I don't need to tell people there's going to be pain there, but there's going to be pain. Sometimes just acknowledging it is mm. really helpful to be. Right. Like, Listen, people, there's going to be pain. A lot of times at our church, I'll say there's there's those of you uh, who are in the midst of pain and those of you who have to be prepared because it's coming. Like yeah, there, it's right, one or right, the other. Right. right. Uh, none of you are going to get out of this world without the struggle of the brokenness of this world. And so I just love that he said that. And in classic, did you think he had the piano behind him the whole time? Or was that just at the end there? I don't know. That's a good question. really worked for him. I don't know that the piano works for me or the the keyboard, but man, did it work for him. I think it works for everybody. But I like his, too. He's saying, you know what? This is a blip on the timeline of eternity, like pointing people that there's coming a day in Revelation where there will be none of this. There'll be no death, no pain, no cancer, no this, no that. Right. I always find that really helpful. But then... Also, that becomes a little bit unhelpful if that's all that you're telling people. Right. Because people are sitting there going, man, that is that is really hopeful, but what not helpful. Like, what about right, right now? Right in now? pain right now. And so he goes, bring it to the pain bearer. Yeah, that's that, good. What a cool phrase there, right? Like, uh, we got to point people to the fact that God says, uh, I am near to the brokenhearted. Yeah. I will always be with you, you know. Uh, rather than being anxious, present your request to me and, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding over and over and over again. We learn about the presence of God through Jesus Christ in our lives. And and that's what you want to uh, point people to. And then he's basically saying, my guess is instead of being mad and running away and bring it to him. Yeah. And then this whole other concept of and pray that he'll use your pain. Right. For his glory and the benefit of others. Like if we could get to that mindset, and I got to be honest, I struggle with that mindset. Yeah, like that's not does. an easy one. No. But to just get your mind around that, like, OK, God, even there's going to be pain. I can bring it to you and you can even use this pain for yeah, something yeah. is is really staggering. Well, I, I, I would maybe even suggest doing that in steps. I think sometimes we Agreed. jump right to God, use this pain. Like mm, maybe the prayer right now needs to be, God, would you just meet me in the midst of this pain? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not to usefulness yet. Maybe I just need like yeah. comfort from the great comforter. That that to me is way different than like, OK, hopefully something good will come of this. And exactly. We, we like skipping over that. Like, I want to be healthy and I want to be whole again. And it's like, maybe you need to sit in the brokenness. But a couple Mm. of things I heard a Russian pastor years ago say, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And any time that I've met someone or had a conversation with them that they just have this like unmistakable depth, there almost always is a story of of some kind of pain in their past. Mm -hmm. There's, There's a depth that's carved out there. One of the things that we'll often tell people is the most painful part of your story might very well be the most life-giving part of someone else's. Like, how many people have you experienced who went through some kind of tragedy, and then 15 years later, someone else came into their life that's going through the same thing they did, and they have this, just this beautiful sense of, like, I was just in your shoes 10 years ago. Like, I know I can walk alongside you with this because I know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, it is. uh, I like what you said there, because sometimes we do jump to the... Okay, what what you're going through, God can use to affect other people. When really, you just need to sit in the brokenness and right. just be like, "Oh, this is the worst." And, no, and we're no, terrible at we're terrible and at know that. God's presence right there and be right. surrounded by the community of God and let them hold you up instead of putting a smile on your face, being like, "All right, how can I get a microphone now and share about what yes, I've learned?" Well, maybe right. you haven't learned anything for decades right. after the pain. That's right, and uh, and that's that is really helpful. But yeah, again, that use it for His glory, bring it to the pain bearer. A blip in eternity. Like, I do think the the promise of eternity in God's presence gives us hope, uh, but it is also his presence that, that's helpful now, right? Like, don't just point people to what's coming yeah, uh, because that doesn't remove the pain now. I mean, we live in a broken world full of sin. Like, pain happens, but God is not uh, 
that is not God's, you know, uh, his condemnation of you. And he hasn't abandoned you. And that's why you're doing it. In fact, like you said, God's right there with you in the midst of your pain. Which I think as Christ followers, we need to learn to model that ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes the difficulty is someone else's pain makes me uncomfortable. And that's why we jump to sanctimonies and platitudes and pulling verses out of context. Oh, yeah. A lot of times the motivation is. I just want you to feel better and I don't know what to do with it. Because it makes me feel better right. if you're feeling better. And if anyone's ever experienced like real heartache and tragedy, sometimes the best thing are the people closest to you yeah. just sitting and weeping with you. And I think, honestly, that by sitting with people, weeping with them, there's a depth that's carved out in our heart. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a formation that happens that we're actually able to to love people better when we don't jump right to you know, throwing a bandaid on what maybe needs surgery or what needs time. And I think mm. that's a really tough impulse for us to kind of fight, but I think it's important. hundred percent. Well, coming up next, some Yahoo posted something on Facebook, <laughs> some <laughs> comment, and it's a bit ridiculous, but we're going to talk about it. That's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian from, do you want to get a hold of us? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you do. You, Brian wants to get a hold of us? <laughs> I'll call you from here. That feels very existential. Help Brian just get around his own head. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can also call us, 312-660-2594, if anything we talk about or address today, or not for that matter. You're like, hey, why don't you guys ever talk about this? Why don't you guys ever talk about... Powerpuff Girls. If that's you, feel mm. free to call us. That, that got an mm from you. Mm. Oh, Next man. segment, hard hitting. <laughs> Powerpuff Girls, 312-660-2594. Who's your favorite Care Bear? Here we go. Favorite Care Bear? Do they have names? They have emotions, right? <laughs> Are they named after emotions? I could be wrong. Wow. I only grew up with one brother. I don't have any sisters, so... Was one of the wait, what is that supposed to mean? Heck, they were they were targeting the young girls. Please. Oh, that is an unfortunate commentary on the. It is not an incorrect off commentary. Emotional nature of. I didn't say boys can't watch present day masculinity. I didn't say they Fromm. couldn't. I'm saying it rarely does it. Happen. We're gonna have a powwow during the commercial break. Huh? All right, so you. You added this, by the way, to the rundown. Full disclosure. I, I don't, did. I teed up that uh, some Yahoo. I think that's the word I used. You some did. some guy, some crazy guy. Who grew up Facebook. in a crowded little home outside of Detroit. I feel like you're reading something <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. Your bio. <laughs> anyway, you threw something on the on the rundown. From your I'm, Facebook oh, yeah, that's right, page. That's right. From your Facebook page. Because I found it really interesting. And it's something uh, I remember having some conversations with guys about. I'm, I'm First of all, just curious, what prompted you to post this? So let me, this was Ian's Facebook page, uh-huh. and uh, Ian wrote this. He wrote, men, and they, you know, you've got two little kids. We've shared this many times. Uh-huh, right. He wrote, men, watching your kids it's not, is not babysitting, it's fatherhood. Yeah. Watching your kids is not babysitting, it's fatherhood. So uh, before getting to what's behind that, I would love to know, why did you post that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I just heard it a bunch the last okay. few weeks or so. Uh, either face to face from guys like, oh man, I can't babysit my kids. Oh, or okay. I, somebody must have, I think, even posted something online like, well, oh, Friday night babysitting my boys or whatever. I, I had seen it enough that I thought, okay, that's not babysitting. Yep. That's those are your yep. those are your children. So that yeah. was kind of the. I'm sure I just saw a good deal of it. it just felt like you needed to make commentary on it. That's I good. didn't need to. I never need to. That's, <laughs> that's the nature of Facebook. But <laughs> uh, why, What do you think the danger is behind that terminology? What do you think is, well, let's go back further. What's driving that? Why would it? I've never, now that you say it, I've never heard a mom say I'm babysitting my children. Not once. Not, whether they're a working mom or not. I've yes, never right, heard a mom, right. stay-at-home mom, working mom. I've never heard a mom, and somebody out there might disagree with that, but I personally can never think of a time I've heard a mom say, hey, you know what? I'm babysitting my kids. 
Uh, but then I'll be freer. Then I'll come over. Sure. But I've certainly heard many men say that. Yeah. Um, and then when you push them on it, uh, usually it's like there's some clarifying. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but just using the terminology. Talk to me about why you think that even comes. Why men say it, but women don't tend to say it. Yeah, I think it's a subtle disconnect from even just the role of fatherhood. Now, obviously, each family has the right and freedom to define yep. how that's played out within their family, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is an unfortunate kind of pervasive understanding that like, okay, the kids are her responsibility and the way that I care for them is by making money Mm. and anything on top of that is sort of icing. So it's like, I'm willing to do it, but staying home with the kids is not really, you know, quote unquote, my role or my job or my responsibility. And I think, I think that could be if someone even my uh, my friend Amber mentioned in the comments, she's like, even saying watching my kids might might be problematic. You know, you're just at home with your kids. There's mm-hmm. a there's even something implied by how you worded it, Ian, which was, uh, I think, really convicting, actually, because I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But this this sort of subtle idea, though, that like, no, I'll still do it. But it's like additional for me. I'm doing the thing that we would pay someone to do. Mm. But for my wife, though, that's, you know, that's just sort of included in the gig. And I think that can be unhealthy in a number of different ways for a number of different reasons. Not the least of which is that often the mom's work goes way underappreciated because there is this sort of subtle like, well, that's what that's what you do, though. Right. And I think. Language matters. You know, we've said this a lot before that words create worlds. So somebody's maybe listening, thinking, is it really the big deal, though, for men to use the word babysitting? I think that it is mm-hmm. not only do, because I think it actually points to a belief system that the person saying it already has. But I think it also perpetuates a belief system that is, I don't know, a little imbalanced. Yeah. In some ways, I pay. Uh, thankfully, I have an old enough daughter that I don't have to pay anymore. But when you pay for babysitting, what are you paying for? Somebody to fill in. Yeah, and, right. And then to the use the word in, babysitting right. kind of sounds uh, like a fill in. So you've got two little kids. I'm curious. Do you do you uh, I know I'm teeing you up here. You're probably going to cry <laughs> uh, when you're a ho- home alone with your boys. Uh, does it a feel natural and be like, what do you love about that? Oh, great question. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. Mm-hmm. It only takes about three minutes, though, for me to realize how much my wife does. Yes. Like, as soon as she leaves and they're having a meltdown, I'm like, how does she, how does she do this all day? I don't like. I, I realize be, I want to go be a pastor right now. Right, right. My my patience isn't nearly as deep as I like imagine that it is in yeah. my brain in a perfect situation. But it's it's so fun because they're getting old enough that they're enjoying each other. You know. Oh. So honestly, my favorite part is like watching them love on each other. Like that's been a lot of fun just watching them play. And again, you know. Like Owen's walking, but Redmond's still, he's just army crawling across the floor. They yeah. just can't go back and forth. Like, the, oh, Owen thinks fun. they're playing hide and seek, and Redmond has no idea. <laughs> so it's, it's all pretty unintelligible. So he's dominating still. him. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's, it really is. It's, it's, uh, I just feel, and again, it's definitely not all daisies. Like, there's a lot of like meltdowns yes. and like, holy cow, another diaper, and geez, yes. you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's like, I step back and it's like the closing of a Hallmark movie. I just realized what a joy it is to be their father. Like there's definitely screaming and chaos and it's so clear they like their mom more. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that goes without saying. Like when I leave, they're like, okay, bye. If mom leaves, it's, you know, Armageddon, which, you know, I suppose I shouldn't take personally. But All, all goes wrong. So what would you say to those dads out there who are maybe they're young dads? Uh, or not, and they do see babysitting, or they just struggle to connect or engage in fatherhood. Yeah, you know, they yeah. do see it as 
I go make the money. I come home. I kind of do my thing, but it's really her show. Right. Uh, any words, pastoral or just as man to man kind of words of wisdom for people? Well, OK, first, I would just simply say go into Google and type fatherhood verses in the Bible. Just start there. Just read some of those passages about mm. the call of fatherhood and the invitation of fatherhood. That's the other thing. I would use the word invitation because a lot of times mm. men and women, but men in particular, I don't think often respond well to sort of this like you should be fill in the blank, but then instead say, man, you're invited to be a part of this thing and you're missing out on so much of the fullness of being a parent, being a father. And yes, yes, it's much like the pain conversation we're having. Don't Mm -hmm. paint it as like, it's going to be wonderful and you're going to cry together and a butterfly is going to land on your nose and you'll laugh. (laughs) You'll cry, but not together. (laughs) It's going to be tough. And I think, um, I also think the, you know, the element of like calling men to task. Like, hey man, at the very least, like the stuff that drives me nuts is when I see a man who, uh, let's say a guy makes dinner for his wife and she posts something online, like, I'm so grateful for my husband. Oftentimes the comments are like, bro, you're making us look bad. I'm like, <laughs> what if instead of complaining that he's... Quit, quit raising make- the bar, man. <laughs> right. But even that, though, like, wow, the bar sometimes is set so low that uh, a guy even do- doing something decent, you know, yeah. and then getting any kind of public recognition for it, it just bums me out that so often the male response is like, Dude, you're making us look bad rather than maybe I should make dinner for my wife or maybe I should clean the house or do the dishes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not saying I, there are plenty of men that are doing sure, this that I think sure. you're doing. But there's all there's all sorts of other things, though, like my uh, my cousin in law, if that's a thing, she comments how like I think it's a thing even in restrooms, though, like there are very few male restrooms that have changing tables. That's subtly sending a message oh. to like, oh, that's for the mom to do. Mm. You know, what mm. I mean, like there are little things in culture and society that kind of perpetuate that idea that like like you said it's their show and I'm just sort of here you know along yeah. for the ride and I guess what I would say uh, we've said this a million times that I've got kids further down the road than yours fifth grade sixth grade sophomore in high school and I love the stage we're in right now just really? love it and at the same time miss when they're little when it was really hectic and all this stuff like oh, if you're really? a dad out there and you feel a little disengaged like that's to your loss I would say engage like even though it's exhausting like I don't miss the diaper stage but there are coming day you're like, oh, yeah, I remember the diaper stage when they were so little and tiny and this and that. Like, yes. My point is this. Each stage is wonderful. Yep. So engage in each stage. And and usually uh, you, you might be out there. Well, what, you'll yell at the moms to engage. Oftentimes it's us dads. And yes. we're dads. So right. we can speak to the dads. Right. You will be better off and your kids will be better off if you are totally engaged and you're in it. Yeah. And, and taking baby steps is OK. Right. Yep. I think so often that's part of the danger of like watching some Hallmark movie and then comparing yourself to the superhero of a dad in the movie. You're yep. like, I'm not doing any of those things. <laughs> I need to do all of them tonight. And you're like, nah, man, just make incremental steps yeah. towards, you know, being someone of, of faith and integrity. I think that's important. Well, we'd love to know what you think. Give us a call. 312-660-2594. Any of the topics that we've talked about or are going to talk about coming up next. Here's what we're going to talk about. Ten questions more important than what was your Sunday attendance. Mm-hmm. We're going to tackle that question coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And I'm going to try and say my name correctly. Oh, you can do it. It's Ian Simpkins. There you go. Hold on. I feel like I really, uh, really accomplished something today. There you go. That other voice you're hearing is Brian Fromm, who is cheering me on. You can find us all over the place on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. If you want to call into the show and share your thoughts, it's 312-660-2594. That's 312 662 
888-528-2594. And uh, here's an article that, again, I wonder how many people realize, like, what an issue this is for pastors in particular. Yes. Like, some of this might be inside baseball. Either way, I think it's a little peek behind the curtain. Ten questions more important than what was your Sunday attendance. Before we dive into it, how often do you hear that question? All the time. Really? All the time. From people from your church, outside the church, other more pastors? outside. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so some people in the church might ask questions like, what's our attendance like compared to last year uh, or okay. whatever? Uh, Congregants, but, parishioners will yeah, ask that? Okay. on occasion. Uh, but more so outside. If you, So you come up to me. We don't know each other. We know each other, but you don't know what I do. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Usually the number one question after that is, oh, really? How big is your church? It is usually the number one question. See, I usually give uh, either square footage or average height of the attender just to <laughs> mess with people. <laughs> oh, about 5'10". People are like, how big? Is your... <laughs> like, what? <laughs> how big is your church? Uh, unfortunately, about two fifteen, two sixteen. Oh, the Daniel plan, though. <laughs> uh, see, again, all of those could work numerically, though. None of that's. I'm realizing point. how many times I've done that joke. The people probably had no idea I was even joking. <laughs> like, oh, he's at a small church, uh, but you know, it is the question that comes out. It is rarely how healthy is your church or this or that, and I get why. Like that is. Th- that Why? is an easy way to categorize the church the other person's talking about is by size. It has always been that way. It is. Uh, you think so? Uh, in I would say in the past, you know, generation or two, it's oh, it's been that way, and so it's a way for people to go. Okay, he's in a huge church. He's in a small church. He's in a this or that. But but what I don't think people understand sometimes it really plays into the insecurities of us pastors. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Um, or to the pride of us pastors, right? Right. If your church is small or shrinking, uh, it's a real burden. If your church is growing, whether healthily or unhealthily, uh, it is a real shot to the pride. Like, yeah, let me tell you about my church. Let me tell you. <laughs> Last year, we were, you know, one service, 150. Now we're three services, 500. And people right. are like, oh, wow, you must be a great pastor. Right. Uh, so, again, we talked about in, seg- uh, in the first hour here, uh, at the beginning of the hour, we talked about Dave Ferguson and the great work he's done of talking about what's your church's scoreboard. And that's what this article gets at. It's at Christianity Today. Carl Vaders, who has been on our show and Carl Vaders has kind of writes a lot as a small church pastor. What is it like to be a small church mm-hmm, pastor? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of these things? And he's trying to say uh, on any given Sunday, even the smallest, simplest church service juggles an amazing array of complex issue from setup and teardown to relationships to administration, spiritual to emotional planned events to unplanned interruptions. But too often we reduce the value of this beautiful multi-layered gathering of believers, seekers, skeptics and hypocrites. To one overly simplistic metric, namely, how many people showed up. So that gets at what we're talking about. And he goes on to basically talk about how we are more than numbers. Well, let me, I'm going to read a little bit more because it's it's so good. He says, certainly almost every pastor in church is grateful when church attendance is on the rise, myself included, which I appreciate him saying. He's like, I'm not immune to this. I'm not saying. Uh, He says, it's not that attendance figures don't matter. It's that too many of us have made those numbers the primary, sometimes exclusive focus of our attention. It's not that attendance figures don't matter. Um, and I think that what, what he's saying there is that when we make that not only paramount, but sometimes in some cases, the only thing we talk about, he says, this is misguided at best, idolatrous at worst. Yeah. And I think idolatrous is a good word. It's for intense it. language. So I want to get to the 10 and then uh, respond to them a little bit. So why don't you read the 10 questions uh, more important than what was your Sunday attendance? Yeah, I love I love what he did here, because this is a guy with a lot of experience, experience in a small church, experience writing. Uh, he does small church conferences, so he's he's uh, thought this through a lot. Number one, 
was Jesus the focus of our attention? Yeah. That's a tough one to, uh, to, uh, uh, quantify. Thank you. That's a hard <laughs> one to quantify yeah. or describe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was Jesus the focus of our attention? But he's saying whether your numbers are going up or down or they were good or bad, whatever, if you could look yourself in the mirror as someone who's led in the service and say, Jesus was our attention today. Uh, he's saying that's a win. Number two, was the Bible taught well? Hmm. So did we open God's word? Did we teach it to the best of our ability? Uh, number three, was hope offered to hurting people? That's a good one. Number four, did anyone come to faith in Christ? So there's a number right there, right? You can go, uh, you know, what what transformation did we see? Number five, did church members love, serve, and encourage each other? Hmm. Number six, were guests made to feel welcome? Uh, were guests made to feel welcome? Number seven, is there more excitement about the future than longing for the past? That's mm. an interesting one right there. Mm. Uh, more hope for the future than longing for the past. Number eight, were any broken relationships healed today? Were any broken re- relationships healed? And number nine, are people more prepared to live for Jesus after having been here? Are, it's this whole uh, everyday missionaries, right? Are them being here made them more prepared to go out and live out their faith, to go out and live in their neighborhoods. And number 10, <laughs> I love this one, the simplicity of this one. Do people want to come back? Yeah, right. Are they going, are they leaving here today going, well, that's never happening again. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to come be a part of this community, to yeah. be back. And so he says, certainly nothing on this list is new, but I, I do find this to be good. It's, it's, uh, it's a good, good lens. These are good lenses to look at and, and speak of health and some effectiveness. Well, and I'd love to hear from anyone that has a thought about maybe another question they would ask. Maybe you can share some insight into what it's like, even if you're, you know, a part of a church, you've been on church leadership. Like what are questions that you found that your team really resonates with? You can call us 312-660-2594. The one that I think, uh, is maybe the most convicting is maybe that last one if people want to come back, you know, mm-hmm. because sometimes that can feel very, um, I don't know, low hanging. Like, well, of course we want them to come back. I remember, you know, Andy Stanley's church that to be a church that unchurched people love to attend yep. that idea that like, yeah, I know that they're not going to have an entire life transformation likely just in one service. So are we actually creating an experience in a way that people are like, you know what? I don't know how I feel about all this stuff. Yeah. I'll come back next week, though. Yeah. I, want, I want to check it out. I think thinking about that in those ways can be really difficult because we put so many eggs in this, like, 60-minute basket yeah. of of this production sometimes. And production is not a naughty word at nope, all. I nope. think that's a really important component of all of it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm challenged by this list. Is there, is there one that stands out to you? Yeah, you know, it sounds like the most basic one. But the first one was Jesus, the focus of our attention. Yeah, right. A lot of times when we put services together uh we in, inadvertently or on purpose make ourselves the focus of the attention Yeah, or our production, as you said, as a whole, the focus of the attention. So we want people to leave going, you know, if you preach the message, man, that was an awesome sermon. Right. If you're a worship leader, man, that guitarist, that guy or that singer. I right. love those songs. Right. Not necessarily what they said. I love those songs. Right. Right. Uh, we, you know, that video clip, man, I love that or whatever else it might be. Uh, when we ask ourselves, in, really, our goal is to say people as they leave going, man, Jesus was really, uh, really, really given the glory today. He was really praised today. And and that's got to be a lens. And, and I like that being question number one, to really ask yourself if you lead or if you help put service together or whatever else. Was Jesus the focus of our attention today? I think that's a powerful one. And that's uh, that's something that I try to say every time, too, before 
before we come to the table is you know, this is ultimately mm-hmm. about Jesus. Yep. This is the reminder that ultimately it's about his death and resurrection, the life that he lived. And I think that is something that is always as pastors, but just as people to kind of keep always at the forefront. And that's a tough question to grapple with. Well, you're listening to The Common Good. We're talking about Beth Moore coming up next here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good, and Brian is breaking everything breaking. in the studio right now. What are you doing? I was moving my microphone and it got caught in my computer and everything just like shook. I think at least once a show, you break something. The funny thing is, this is total inside baseball, but they needed my computer the whole first hour of the show, so they just brought it in and already I'm like hitting things. And you have this pan- I wish everyone could see the panicked look on yeah, your face when you yeah. accidentally snap things off of the oh. arm or the computer. What's another one you do? Yeah. Oh, you're often... Do you know that playing when, with your ring? Yep. Do you know when I was uh, like in high school, I had a reputation. I used to spill stuff all the time. I'm shocked. And to, so now to, to see that it's like continuing in my life. Oh, Did you crazy. not know until doing this show that this was still a thing? No, no. <laughs> have multiple things going on here. Uh, but what I have not hit over here is uh, sorry. This is I have a pop tart that I'm about ready. Why are you sharing that with people? <laughs> because it did raise a great uh, a great dispute between you and I as to the best kind of pop tart. Okay, so there's a snack cart, and there were two different kinds available. People strawberry. People want to know this. This is hard. Strawberry, and then there was of course the obvious choice. Maple brown it's not sugar, just strawberry. It's it's got you know the white frosting mm. with the sprinkles. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you say it. The uh, the the uh, I mean the winner is so clear to me. <laughs> I, it's literally made me spiritually concerned for you. It is true that that winner being strawberry no. with sprinkles. Oh my gosh, yes. we we need to have an intervention. This after the turned show. into a a, le, a legitimate dispute between us the other day. I've never been more angry at Brian Fromm <laughs> than seeing him select strawberry. You looked at me, you're, oh, you're strawberry. I was like, <laughs> you're one of those I, people. I thought I knew you. <laughs> you're dead to me, Brian Fromm. All right, so uh, I imagine a number of people probably are already aware at this point uh, there were some things said at a conference by John MacArthur uh, about Beth Moore again to be fair it was sort of set up as a uh, sort of game show moment right so it was like hey this this word and you have a one word response or some, something yeah. like that right a poorly planned open let's put it that way uh, is, then, was this the open of the conference or oh was it- I don't know it felt like at least the open of that question and answer time yeah, right? right and it was totally meant it was it, 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 it it was totally meant to be lighthearted, it sounded like, and it really missed. <laughs> yeah. So what, just summarize what happened really quick, just so people are familiar. Yeah, or so up or... I don't know who the MC was, but somebody from uh, probably MacArthur's church or his organization. Then John MacArthur and another man were on stage, and they were going to answer questions. And so this guy said, hey, let's get the blood moving. Let's start by asking, I'm going to give you a word, and you give me a response, right? So. Right. You know, it's like if I went ice cream and you went yummy, you know, that kind of deal. <laughs> that was a good one right off the top of my head. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. And of course, it was like total laugh. Ha ha. The guy goes, Beth Moore. And everyone, oh, and it, and there was all these moments along the way where this could have been avoided. But yeah. then, uh, you know, John MacArthur ended up famously now over the last week going, uh, go home yeah. was his answer. And, and that has kind of set Twitter ablaze. Yep. 
because and uh, brought up a lot of questions about women in ministry and all stuff, because what was difficult about his response is that Beth Moore wasn't there. Beth Moore didn't know she was being talked about. There was no reason to bring up Beth Moore in that state in that in that time. And, you know, it wouldn't have been even appropriate done behind closed doors, but it was also naive to think it wouldn't get out. Yeah, right. because these things are recorded. Everything's <laughs> recorded nowadays. That's true. And so uh, it is gone crazy. But um it was just uh, it was disrespectful. Yeah. At, at, not even at best. I don't say that. But like at the very least, it was just extremely hurtful and disrespectful uh, to somebody that a lot of people respect. Rightfully so very much. And this is a sister in Christ to him and, yeah, and didn't right. need to be demeaned by that. And at, at worst, it made a lot of people go, see, that's what a lot of the old guard of complementarian men actually believe about women. Yeah, I don't think that and, was the uh, worst. But yeah, yeah there's, it's on the list of things. Yeah, there's a yeah. list. So it was it was ugly, just ugly. Yeah. But it raised a lot of important questions. But I think where we wanted to turn it here is how Beth Moore has now responded. Well, before we do that, I want to give people a chance to call if they want to. 312-660-2594. What did you think of the comment or the reaction, uh, either from Beth Moore or the Twitter sphere? As you've noticed, yeah. a lot of people, and I think some of the good has been, now a lot of people are talking about this, you know, people on both sides of the coin. And I think there are ways, certainly, to hold both of these positions, either of those positions or anything in between, and not be a jerk about it. <laughs> yes. That's always the option. I so, think we can all agree that the... I don't know that everyone would. But I, I, I want to go on the record to say it. So he, here was here was her initial response. She said, hey, y'all, let's cool it on the slander towards J-Mac. Uh, doesn't honor God. Let's move on. So a pretty classy response. Really was on and, Twitter. Yeah. And one that a lot of people were kind of, uh, I think, surprised by. But then she went on, and I think because of some of the comments that people then uh, responded with, she said, okay, really busy work day. So I'm now uh, I'm just now able to follow up with this. Believe me. Uh, I'm not talking about cooling it on the issues. Misogyny is rampant and shameful. I'm talking about not returning insult for insult. What Jesus called us to do in a case like this is hard, but right. Mm. What do you think of those two responses? I, I think it, it it shows unbelievable grace in the midst of uh, just being wronged, right? Like uh, I've tried to put myself in her shoes. Like yeah. if you, and this isn't the first time she's been, she is like a, uh, a figurehead for a lot of people to take shots at, right? Who don't think like women should rod. be preached. Yeah. A lightning rod. That's a better way to put it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and so she's taken a lot on Twitter. She's given a lot, but she's taken a lot on Twitter. And so for, I would, I tried to put myself in her shoes. And I think what I would have either done is lashed out hmm. like, Hey, I'm a martyr. I'm going to come out fighting and all these people, my army is going to be behind me. Or I would have stayed completely silent. And just let other people do the fighting. Hmm. And then I just would have stayed quiet on it. Interesting. And I think her approach was the best of all of them. You right? think she had coaching? You think there are people? Uh, Maybe. Yeah. But probably. Does that she, change any of it for you? Not at all. I no. think I think all of us at a time like that would go to people we trust. I, I go. Would, yeah. What is the best response? I mean, notice she didn't respond for a couple of days. Right. And so I think that that is that is a positive thing. Uh, but I think her approach is better than the other than the two that I described. I probably would be wanting to do hmm. uh, to say, uh, you know what? Uh, let's not fight fire with fire. Let's yeah, right. uh, the way of Jesus and the way that Jesus taught us to uh, to react her in the other cheek and such is hard. And this is a great way to this is a great opportunity to do it right. when at the same time, let's keep having the discussion. Yeah. Hey, these guys raised an important thing that now we're like you said, it's kind of good that it's come to light. Let's have a conversation. And, and I think she I think she came out looking really classy in mm. her response. 
uh, living out uh, some grace, and um, uh, I'm, I admire it because I'm not sure I could have done it. Well, it's interesting even hearing you talk about your two responses. Yours feel like fight or flight, right? Yeah. The fight is the lash out. Yep. The the I mean the the flight is the just go silent. Yep. And not to overmake the case, but it feels a little bit like what she says here is sort of the way of Jesus, right? The hey, yeah. we don't need to. Now a lot of people kind of went after her even for using the word slander because a slander means you know something that's false or unsupported. So you know if what people were saying was actually true about him. Is it slanderous even if it's just, you know, hurtful or maybe negative? Negative things don't necessarily mean they're slanderous. They can be negative and very, very true. Yeah. So I think that's part of where some people, especially if people have been, you know, fighting for awareness or a cause, you know, that has in any way, shape or form something to do with this topic. I could see why people would be a little divided by that response. But I also think often the way of Jesus will do that when some people want to say, man, no, you need to hit him back harder. Or other people saying, why don't you just let it die? Addressing it at all, this third way can sometimes feel very, it can feel like it's throwing off your equilibrium. Like, wow, well, this is, a, I wasn't, like, even like what you said, this is not a response that I think I would have thought of. And I think that that's curious because that often feels like that's the way of grace. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just know when I feel wronged, uh, I really want to go at the person that's wronged me. Hmm. I, I just do. It could be because it feels like justice. Uh, oh, and, interesting. And then it doesn't feel. In some ways, she's not letting him off the hook, but in some ways it feels like he is. And mm. who knows if John MacArthur cares to be let off the hook? I don't know. Who knows? But uh, but in some ways you were like, well, I get some of the comments here. Like, don't let him off the hook. Let's like, right. now's the time to go at it. And she's going, now's the time to go at the idea. Now's the time to go at the, the or, or the approach, the debate. Yeah. But But we don't need to go after the person the way they went after me as a person. And I want to mm. be like. I, 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 that's why I respect it. Yeah. Jesus never said that either. Jesus was never like, well, you know what? They wronged me. I'm going after them. Yeah. And and she's going, hey, the way of Jesus is hard, and this is an opportunity to go with it. Jesus confronted ideas all the time. Yeah. He confronted them, but he never, uh, he never lashed out at people the way he was lashed out, right? Like he, he turned the other cheek and, and yeah, he flipped some tables too. He did. For sure. He did. <laughs> he but, cracked some whips. Um, but, but in terms of, she's just modeling here so much. Uh, of the way Jesus uh, did with grace, and it's just really interesting. I'd encourage you to go to Twitter and look at it because some some of the uh, some of the comments are pretty. Uh, they challenge her pretty good. They challenge her pretty good, and she answers all of them. That's another thing. I was like, how long uh-huh. were you on Twitter? Yeah, right. <laughs> just keep going. So really impressive, and I think a nice uh, uh, a good learning experience uh, that she's given people, even in the midst of what has to have been a hellish week for her. Yeah, for sure. We'd love to know what you think. 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Well, coming up next, our very own Dan Ehrman is going to be in the studio, friends, talking about the Lyft Conference. That's on Friday, November 14th, featuring Jim Daly and Nancy Beach. He's going to share a little bit more about the heartbeat behind that event. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We should be flattered that we came right after the pot commercial yeah. or not. I want to know, are you pro opto? Never mind. Oh. <laughs> this segment went off the rails. That only took three seconds. Way to go. Way to go, us. Well, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook. Thanks for the grandiose hand-waving, by the way. Yep. On Facebook at The it Common Good well radio, radio He's just speaking right over me every time. Every time he does this. And then, I'm, and then now he's dancing. I'm just going to narrate your entire <laughs> performance you. right here. sit still now. <laughs> I doubt that very much. You can call us at 312-660-2594. You can also find all the shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get podcasts. And I was told 
that just before the break, I uh, incorrectly, I'm literally holding the postcard and still gave the wrong information. So, Dan Herman, why don't you give us the right information just to ensure everyone knows what's going on? Well, this November, Friday is a 15th, not the 14th. <laughs> so, I'm listening. <laughs> You're like, I'm learning things all day. Oh, hold on, my pen. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad to be back in studio with you guys, it's fun, man. and it's fun, it's always fun to join you guys. We love having you here at the station. Oh, thanks, um, man. It, one of the things that we're passionate about, and this is our 18th year doing a pastor's event around Chicago, and we used to do a lot of events where we'd bring in a big preacher, a big name, have a nice meal, and it would be there, bang, done, and um, it was great, it, but we really wanted to build into leaders around Chicago mm. and to partner in with the local church mm. in a deeper way, and so we've been, the last few years, leaning into how do we generate content that's really going to build into local leaders? Mm. And in doing that, we're always planning a year, year and a half out. And while we were doing the planning, we were right in the middle of all these large churches, just bad news, you know, headline news um, all, you know, 18 months ago. And in the midst of that, we're saying leadership is in crisis. And so we've shifted into uh, looking at Lyft this year to look at how do we engage this leadership crisis that we're seeing in the church and not only just address the, you know, the huge issues, but also look at how can we be proactive Mm -hmm. in, in engaging with that and equip pastors with tools to help them engage age uh the structures of the church, the church governance models right. and technical things to like just practical stuff with uh, a pastor's panel with Carl Klaus and, and Ian Simpkins. Ah, and, oh, uh, really? Oh, oh, I will yeah. be in the front and, row uh, for that one. And, oh, boy. And, uh, <laughs> I'll be selling tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Romel Williams, he's uh. a pastor in the south side of Chicago. And uh, you guys have all been through messy situations uh-huh. in ministry and sharing from that and how you see God in telling that story. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, Jim Daly and Nancy Beach are joining us. Everybody knows Jim Daly. Focus on the family. Mm-hmm. He's here uh, at 1130 every day here on AM 1160. And then Nancy Beach was a teaching pastor at Willow mm-hmm. Creek some years ago and navigated some pretty messy situations yeah. there yeah. as well. Nancy Beach, just uh, two or three weeks ago, right where you're standing, she sat and uh, was awesome. Yeah, she's like, fantastic. She will be worth uh, going just just to hear her. So, so you would say, uh, so this is for pastors, uh, but... Not just pastors in crisis or whose churches are in crisis. In many ways, it's to help us as pastors not end up in that point. Uh, so even if you're out there right now going, no, hey, we're in a great spot. I don't need to be in a hearing about crisis. We're going, no, this is good to, to make sure you don't get there. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's about being proactive. And part of that proactivity, I think the best thing the church can do is to pray. Mm-hmm. And to seek the Lord's face. And that's why I'm here today and why I wanted to come on with you guys again is to ask our listeners mm-hmm. to pray. Because when we dive into an issue like this, uh, we're engaging in spiritual forces that are bigger than than just us. And yeah. so there's a sense where we need you to pray that the Lord would show up in that event, that he'd bring the right leaders to that event. Um, and, and pray that it would be good and edifying for the church. These conversations, you know, they can take crazy turns yeah, uh, right. and talk about about pop tarts. Um, <laughs> but, if you need a panel on that, I'm your guy. <laughs> pop tart panel. This is Brian by himself. <laughs> but uh, they can also uh, be really 
engaging to the soul of, mm. of building up leaders, encouraging leaders, any pastor, anybody in ministry at all, it gets rough. It gets messy. Yeah. It can be painful. And to be able to uh, be built up in that and prepared for it, as well as edified in fellowship, you know, there's a free lunch included for mm. everybody there. I think that's one of the most holy moments of that day is pastors from across yeah. Chicago, denominational lines, get together break bread. That's yeah. awesome. All right, so I'm listening to you describe this conference. I'm guessing tickets are what, like $200, $300 for something for all the things you just described. That's uh, that's got to cost a lot of coin for the average pastor to go, right? Mostly to pay for our MCs. Ah. Uh, I, I look forward to meeting these we, people. <laughs> we get paid? No, I'm teeing that up, though, because I think right. a lot of times, yeah. you know, pastors, uh, I can hear this through the lens of a pastor, too, like, oh, I'm busy, I got a lot of stuff going on, I don't know that I have a budget for yeah. conferences or edification. It's a free conference, right? I, I just saw ads for TGC, you know, or whatever it is coming up in, in Louisville, and it's hundreds of dollars yeah, to go. Right. And we're bringing in some nationally known speakers, and, and it's a free event. Yes, that's it, huge. It includes lunch. Right. It's it's something that's a gift to the pastors, to church leaders across Chicago. So if you're a leader in your church, you know, even to the point of like, if you are a Sunday school leader in mm-hmm. a in a in, and you want to engage in these issues, if you're an right. elder at your church, exactly, and, and you want to engage in this, we want you to come. Uh, we want you to be built up. We want to invest into you and, and encourage you in the work that you're doing. I love that. So it's all about leadership in crisis. Just curious, as you've done the research and you're getting these people together, what do you think are some of the root causes? Why do, why this crisis in leadership? What are some things we're going to hear there probably on that day? For me, I think leadership has uprooted discipleship mm. in too many contexts where we mm. have elevated leadership as the call of the church is to make leaders rather than to go and make disciples. Yeah, and that's right. That's really good. Leadership's really a byproduct of discipleship. Mm. And uh, we need to be mindful of that and keep keep that foremost in, in how we engage. So this is a question that I've actually just personally wanted to ask you, because you also have a show where you, you've you been driving around the city of Chicago for a while now, interviewing pastors, getting to know their story. Uh, I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about that. But how has that show informed some of your heartbeat behind caring for pastors? Because my guess yeah. is... That yeah. they're connected. You've, you've shared some real time with like real flesh and blood pastors all throughout Chicagoland. And I love that you're the one kind of informing how this looks. So tell us a little bit about your show okay. and how some of that has kind of informed your passion for this event. And then also thirdly, before we forget, <laughs> thirdly. Before we forget how do people find out more? Where do they get tickets? How do they yeah. want to make sure that we get them all that information? So I'll start with tickets. 1160hope.com slash lift or Perfect. just go to 1160hope.com right on the homepage. There's a big thing that says lift and it's got a picture of Jim Daly and Nancy Beach. Click on that. And that'll take you right to the ticket vendor Perfect. and all that. Uh, for my show, it's called Leading the Church. And really, it's not my show. And that's probably a gift to all of you. Uh, <laughs> where I can really tee up some of the best communicators of the gospel across Chicago to share their heart. I, I start with trying to build unity for the church and yeah. saying, what's what's God's story in your life? But then getting into uh, what are they about? What is, mm. What's driving their local church? What are they engaged in? What what are those stories of God at work in their in their local church? And for that, it, it tees up all kinds of different conversations. It depends from one guy to the next, so if they're extroverted, introverted, right. and, and all the rest. And and so it informs part of, of what we're bringing to the table with this. Mm. Uh, I don't think that... Uh, every it, it, leader or leadership in crisis is not at the forefront of every conversation right, that way, right. but it is driving kind of this uh, undercurrent. It's, it's a little bit of an iceberg thing within mm, the church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with the minute we have, do you, uh, people out there going, well, I'm an elder in a church, but I have another job, but I'm not a pastor. 
more than welcome to come, right? The more the merrier. Yeah, and I think it's worth taking a day off of work. I do too. Where yeah. it's something where you're going to be built into, and you're going to hear conversations that you're not going to normally hear in a sermon. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to be stuff that's going to be really practical and applicable. It's going to be challenging, where you're going to dive into stuff mm-hmm. where uh, it's messy stuff that, frankly, we don't want to put on the air. Yeah, it's, it's going to be stuff where that's true. You know, we want to we want to build up people um, in the Lord, but there's ugly realities that we can get in t- under the surface. Yeah. Well, just to say personally too. Dan, I'm grateful for you and yeah. the work that you do. I think that we're a better show and a better station because of your influence. And I love that you care about pastors because it's something that's close to our heart as well. <laughs> so I can't encourage you enough. That is Friday, November 15th. 15th. High Point Church in <laughs> Naperville. Oh, I live right by there. Leadership in Crisis, the Lyft Conference. That is uh, November 15th with Jim Daly and Nancy Beach, plus a whole lot more. Go to 1160hope.com. Click on the banner there. Tickets are free. Lunch is included. We'll be there. Come up and say hi. We would love to meet you guys. And uh, Dan, and thank you for the work that you're doing Thanks, to help man. pour into churches. Likewise. Appreciate it, man. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can call us, 312-660-2594. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your disagreements, your rants, your rages. Mm. Any other things we'd like to hear? All of those An- I, anecdotes, anecdotes, jokes, puns. Oh yeah, we're back yep. to this. Puns this and was jokes. Back when we had a text line for two <laughs> yeah, weeks that nobody ever that, used. That only people on staff texted, and I was like, "You could just text us directly, <laughs> <laughs> or you could walk over we here." <laughs> right, right. We don't need a whole dedicated line for but this. Thank you for trying. <laughs> yeah, thank you. For trying. You were so passionate about it too. You're I like, was. this text line is going to revolutionize. Like, radio. it is going to be unbelievable. <laughs> oh, grand you're total. So naive. <laughs> I started texting it myself from home. <laughs> he was getting burner phones, so different numbers would show up. It was really people texting us. <laughs> really elaborate. Yeah. Well, and it's been it's been kind of fun actually. I don't know. Have you ever gone back to listen to some of those older shows from when we started? Yeah. One, we sound so nervous all the time. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I, I remember it being super nervous in the beginning. I think my very first word spoken on the show I flubbed. It is a true statement. I think I really messed it up, and I wasn't. I was so unhappy uh, with myself. Um, Ian, do you also remember? Was it first segment, or at least the first half hour of our very first show? I got the name of our show incorrect. The common ground, right? Everyone looked at me like, <laughs> "What did you just do?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's not the common oh, ground." Man, that's funny. Well, how, how how far we've come, or yes. not come, for that matter. Nope. All right. So I found this article to be really sobering, and I know that it's a topic we've tackled a lot in the last two months, two and a half months. But I think it's really important. That's from Business Insider, and it says suicide is Gen Z's second leading cause of death, Mm. and it's a worse epidemic than anything millennials faced at that age. So some pretty startling statistics, but the whole premise is uh, this is already considerably worse than than it was for the previous generation, and I think this is just a really important topic for us to grapple with. What's what's going on here? I mean, some of the stats are, are really crazy and hard to read. The suicide rate for people aged 10 to 24. Oh, my gosh. Has increased by 56 percent from 2007 to 2017 for children aged 10 to 14. The suicide rate tripled between 2007 and 2017 after years of decline. Wow. So it was going down. And now in that 10 year period, it is tripled. Suicide had increased among millennials, but data suggests Gen Z might be most at risk for mental illness. And and the stats go on and on, man, but they are they are staggering, especially 
uh, I almost said especially as a dad, but but no, not especially as a dad, just as a culture. Yeah, right. To and and what it really causes us to do uh, is a what we want this to do is to be uh, just to inform you to be knowledge. Yeah, right. Like you either have kids or you you know people with kids, whatever. Go whoa. When I read ten to fourteen, I'm like. Wait, that has to be a category? Hmm. Like when you think suicide, you know, with teenagers, you think 18, 19, early 20s, whatever. But to read just even the number 10, you're like, that is in and of itself staggering. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then it has to cause us to ask the question, why? Yeah. Why is this number tripling, doubling, increasing by 56% across the board? In the span of 10 years, even when it was declining before that, what could be the reasons culturally as to why this is happening? Well, and I think there are a whole number of systemic reasons, Mm -hmm. but here's the angle this article takes. It says social media might be fueling the increase in mental illness, says Gen Z is the first truly digital generation. Mm -hmm. Pew Research Center found that 45% of teens aged 13 to 17 said they use the Internet, quote, almost Constantly. What a phrase. Right? Overuse of social media can cause loneliness, depression, and anxiety. And the Anxiety and Depression Association of America reported that. Gen Z teenagers told Business Insider that the constant social media use was driving a longing for interpersonal connection. So there's um, a girl named Jess Gallo, 19, said, I feel like we have too much of a reliance on technology mm-hmm. and we don't really appreciate the value of books or interpersonal communication. That's from the mouth of a 19-year-old. A 19-year-old, so I, yep. I think that's uh, not... The only issue, obviously, but again, a topic that we've talked a lot about on the show uh, is how reliant we've become and how it does sort of, in some ways, uh, mirror what real connection feels like. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about the dopamine in the brain that's released when we see that, you know, that lovely red icon of a notification. Someone noticed me, someone's responding, someone's commenting. There are really um, strong neurobiological responses to those things, and it can kind of almost trick us into thinking that, like, a network and a community are the same thing because in a lot of ways they behave similarly, but they're not the same thing. And I'm, I'm really curious, even, you know, as your kids are teenagers, are you seeing some of this, some of this hyper isolationism, this attachment to technology? Are you seeing that in your own house? Uh, That's a great question. I would say that, that there is a reliance on phones and technology. I wouldn't say to the level as some of the, they're talking on here, but that's been somewhat intentional by us. Uh, What I have seen is there is uh Kids in these generations of this gap here that we're talking about, being a dad now and watching the day-to-day, yeah. there is a greater pressure. Hmm. Uh, the stuff we're putting on them in schools or just societally, like there is a great there, there, there's a less ability to just be naturally carefree than even when I was a child. Okay. okay? That makes sense. And I get that. And then when you add the social media component on it, because really when you ask why is this happening, you have to ask what's different. Right. What changed in 2007 and and to 2017 that wasn't there before? And I think it's got to be technology. Hmm. Uh, it's got to be, um, like you said, some of the um, the increased pressures in, in whether it be in school or curricular activities or getting into college or all this stuff. We all had those. But I'm just telling you, I'm watching firsthand that it's that it's increased. And uh, I don't know. The question becomes, what do we do about this? Yeah. Like what if you're talking as a parent? What do you even do about this? Or as a church, what, what do churches do about this? How This seems like a crisis that has to be tackled. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, that we have to talk about at a church level is, for me, I keep going back to the word formation. The technology is not good or bad, but it's not neutral. And the things that we do, the technology that we consume, the media that we participate in, all of it is forming us. Mm. And I feel like, you know, 
really probably ever since the Enlightenment, we've sort of created this idea that like intellectual ascent is the highest form of behavior, is the highest form of you know that's that's when you've arrived. I can just simply. Um, I can simply will myself to do certain things or believe yeah. certain. If I can believe it, then it's then I've succeeded. And this idea that we have all these like micro formations happening around us all the time that these little patterns, these little habits are creating us into the people that we are today. So it may not seem like a big idea, like ah, what's yeah, what's another episode or yes, what's another. Yes. All of those small decisions though are for good or bad. They're forming us, and I think to pay better attention and to even talk about those types of things, because I believe Jesus talks about those Agreed. types of things. How we're being formed isn't just, oh, pray a prayer, and then you become Christ-like. You're like, no, no, these, these involve really intentional decisions. Yeah, I, the phrase that's going to stick out, like I literally want to go home and talk to my wife about this and just process it, is 45% of teens between 13 and 17 say they use the internet almost constantly. Yeah, that's massive. Like, just think about that phrase, almost constantly, and that's what half self-identified uh-huh. as yeah. is staggering because yeah. then the next sentence says overuse of social media can cause loneliness, depression, and anxiety, which we've all experienced. Right. I mean, that's, and so there's your answer, right? Half of the, half of our teenagers, this generation are saying they're on it almost constantly. And that's what causes, well, there you go. So parents have to start tackling this and having these discussions with their kids. Churches need to start teaching on it. Schools need to tackle it. Like we can't, be like, well, you know, like you said, social media, it's neutral. It's not when right. it comes to our kids, especially. What are we modeling? What are we talking about? How are we doing? Like, we can't just hope that our kids are going to be okay. Well, then we can't just simply say, stop doing these things. I think, I think we need to paint for them and for ourselves a more compelling vision of yeah. what instead. I feel like the church has historically struggled with this, where we give a, a long list of things that we're not supposed to do, and we didn't give them anything else yeah. to do instead, right? Nothing to replace these things that we said, all those are bad, all those are toxic. And that's tough. That, that takes a family. That takes a whole community. And I think... That's why I love the local church. Absolutely. We, we walk through and journey together with these really difficult topics. Yeah. All right. So that was a heavy one. Obviously, we're going to wrap up the show the way we do every show with some interweb insanity story that we stories we've not read or seen sound effects we haven't heard. We're going to read them sight unseen. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, friends, that music can mean only one thing. It should only mean one thing. The show is ending, but don't don't bail on us no, yet. No, don't do it. we got some interweb insanity, and if you're just joining us wondering what the heck is interweb yes. insanity, what is it, Brian? Give us a little tea, a little taste. So our, you say tea? I'm drinking tea all the Give time Give us a little here. tea. Yeah, you're <laughs> drinking 30 ounces of tea. I've got a Trenta here today, people. I'm bouncing off the walls But you Starbucks. also got a, a second one for free. So it's a great story. I was at Starbucks. Is I'll it do a great it real story? fast. I was at Starbucks, and I was going to get some work done before coming up here. I bought a Trenta, thinking that I would drink some there and then have some for the show. And after I purchased it, she said, oh, by the way, it's a buy one, get one free today. I said, I will take my free Trenta. So I'm going to Trenta's. Yeah, it's it's a we have very different opinions of what a great story is. It is obscene. (laughs) So what we do here is our producers, PJ and Keith Conrad, they pick stories. You and I have no idea what they are. Right. And then after we read said stories, we will hear sound clips, movie drops, whatever else it might be. We have no idea what they are. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we're appalled like you are. Like If you're mad about them, remember, be mad at them. Well, okay. And, and his, in his defense, PJ did just come, come in and say, these are all Keith today. And Keith, you can't see because your back's to the booth. He just stuck his head in and gave us two thumbs up, which makes me very worried. so nervous. I'm very worried. This might be the last show we ever do. So <laughs> why don't you take it away, Brian Fromm? Ooh, first one's out of France. 
Researchers create smartphone case made of artificial human skin. Oh, gosh. Why? <laughs> Why? Researchers say, uh, oh, hold on. This phone cover might give you some people the heebie-jeebies. Me. I'm, it's made I'm that from person. artificial skin, and it's not the only one. Gross. Researchers say they have also developed a faux skin prototype for other devices. The idea is to give the user some lifelike sensations. What? The phone case can be tickled and pinched just like human flesh. I'm so uncomfortable. The artificial I'm so skin no. is made from silicone Sorry. and sensors that give it that nope, real life We're look done. and feel. Uh, the guy who developed it developed the artificial skin for mobile devices. I also made a nice touchpad. Oh, Skin-on interfaces are devices no. that augment devi- existing devices with realistic skin. When we interact with others, we use skin as interfaces. Why However, are you saying skin the way you're saying the it? objects of mediated communication, such as the smartphone, still has a cold interface that doesn't allow natural interaction input. In this project, I wanted to make available the perfect human interface that is the skin for existing devices. It rubs the lotion on its skin no. or else it gets the hose See, again. That was my biggest fear. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the drop, and now I need a nightlight in my room. Okay, uh, Canada. What do we call it? Canada. America's, America's top hat. No, that's Wisconsin to uh, Illinois. Okay. Canada is like the loft over a really great party telling them to turn the music down a little bit. <laughs> Does that sound about right? Yes. Shoplifter sure. mistakes unmarked police car for getaway car. <laughs> nice. Holy cow. A Windsor woman, ah, it's Windsor, that makes sense, is facing <laughs> charges after she got into a police car instead of her getaway car at Windsor Crossings. LaSalle police say that around 3 p.m. on Monday, first off, she's in the, in the middle of the day, that's not a good idea. Monday, October 21st, 2019, they were called to a retail store at Windsor Crossings for a report of an adult female shoplifter. The suspect was described as female, wearing a, <laughs> wearing a pink hijab and carrying a baby seat covered with a blanket. A detective in plain sight, uh, in plain clothes, sorry, responded to the area and set up outside the store in his vehicle waiting for the, su- the suspect to exit. Upon leaving the store, the suspect walked directly to the detective's unmarked police vehicle and tried to get into the rear seat, mistaking it for the vehicle that was supposed to pick her up. The detective <laughs> exited his vehicle and identified himself as a LaSalle police officer and arrested the suspect for theft and possession of the stolen property. That was really stupid. That one's, that one's pretty bad. That, that was, was bad. That was not great. Next one's out of New York. He got drunk, not because he drank, but because he ate. Okay. (laughs) For years after taking antibiotics in 2011 for a thumb injury, a previously active and healthy man says he suffered from depression, brain fog, memory loss, and aggressiveness. Then, after a DWI arrest, those around him, including medical staff and cops, became convinced he was a secret drinker. But he denied consuming any alcohol, despite the high blood alcohol content he registered when he was arrested. Now, NBC News reports on the man's case study, which vindicates him with a diagnosis. Auto brewery syndrome, a rare condition also known as drunkenness disease, in which fermenting microbes such as bacteria or fungi in one's gut convert the sugar into carbohydrates, then into ethanol or the sugar in carbohydrates into ethanol, which then leads to elevated blood alcohol content levels. Research in the BMJ Open Gastroenterology Journal notes all of the 46-year-olds' uncharacteristic symptoms. Are you drunk right now? I went for it. I went for it. Just I went for that word, and then I blew by it. It flared up after he ate, leaving him unable to function, the author of the study said. I heard alcohol makes you stupid. No, I doesn't. No, it doesn't. What did the mushrooms say to the broccoli when the broccoli said he couldn't come to the party? 
You're a fun guy. Why not? I'm a fun guy. There you go. Um, Gastroenterology. That's the word I was going for there. You just really wanted to redeem yourself I did. There. I did. All right. Georgia. This photo is amazing. It is good. This inflatable Christmas vacation RV is peak holiday yard decor. If you're planning to cover your house in Christmas lights in tribute to Clark Griswold this year, why not pay a little homage to Cousin Eddie, too, with his inflatable Christmas Vacation RV? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is a hilarious holiday classic. I totally agree. And possibly the most honest depiction of spending Christmas with family in cinematic history. Sorry, Hallmark. So having a little salute to the film... And it's notoriously awful in the funniest way. Cousin Eddie is the perfect way to celebrate the holiday. I legitimately want this in this my is life. Good. The inflatable RV stands about four feet tall and is pre-lit with energy efficient. Well, at least it's energy efficient LED lights. So there's no way the neighbors won't see it. It's also self-inflatable. So all you have to do is just plug it in, preferably as your family gathers around to watch and provide a drum roll sound effect. So when did you get the uh, tenement on wheels? Oh, that there, that, uh, that's an RV. <laughs> <laughs> that that's good, I want to go watch it right Would now. Would you choose National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Elf? What is your Christmas movie oh, of choice? Christmas Vacation, okay, for sure. It's also only $200 at Home Depot right now. There you go. Last one, and it seems like all of mine are, have to do with drunkenness. California. Oh, take the hint, Ryan. Yeah, I know. Drunk Santa arrested after police found him in car. I was drunk and made some poor choices. <laughs> Christmas came early. A lot of Christmas today, too. Christmas came early for one California man, dubbed the drunk Santa suit criminal. And he's most definitely on local law enforcement's naughty list. Marie police arrested the festive and apparently impatient man Tuesday after they found him inside his car at around 7 a.m. The man who has not yet been identified appeared to be under the influence of alcohol or drugs or both. Police took the social media to share a message from the drunk Santa. He said, it said, dear Santa, I'm sorry I stole your red suit. I was drunk and made some poor choices. I know it's October and it's hot. (laughs) Too hot for this suit. But I was drunk and made poor choices. You are really Santa, right? No, I'm an accountant. I wear this thing as a fashion statement, all right? That's a real weird note to end on today, isn't it? Yeah, or somewhat appropriate. (laughs) What? What is appropriate about it? I don't know. Drunk Santa and drinking seem to be all of those. Christmas vacation. I think I see now why Keith was giving us the two enthusiastic thumbs up. It was very Wayne's World of him. He was really amped. Now I know what to get you for Christmas, though. Oh, please do. Oh, the the human skin case? No. Oh, I thought we were going RV. I had forgotten about that one. Oh, now you won't. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to try to forget that and come back tomorrow. Hope you'll join us from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.